0: frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown american drink go to grown Superfood.com forward slash john and order today
1: Ah. the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center thanks to Carvana. it doesn't get
2: any better than this
1: your favorite seat's the best spot in the house make it even better by entering your license plate or vin and getting a real offer in minutes
2: there really is no place like home
1: and speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place.
0: This is the John Fuglesang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. And we are very thankful you are with us tonight on Thanksgiving Eve. I'm John saying. Welcome to Tell Me Everything, the little show that could bring good trouble to the right wing bubble for the next three hours. We're going to be taking your calls at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Chris hauselt is our executive producer running this thing from South Carolina. Uh, Sean Bertolo is sitting in for the great Thea Harper. Am I right? Is, is it Sean who's carrying us on his shoulders yeah. tonight? yeah sean has the thankless job okay thank you sean we're very very grateful my name's john i'm coming at you from new york city and we have some great guests tonight max burns will be here later on in the show um and we're asking a few holiday related questions because our thanksgiving special will air on the day itself it's going to be great we have a wonderful conversation with theologian diana butler bass who wrote a whole book about what it means to be grateful and uh we go kind of deep on what that means it's something very friendly for spiritual people and non-believers at the same time also a panel with three of our favorite regulars for the first time in the same zoom room uh professor cory bretschneider and Keith Price and Rhonda Hanson. Some of those folks had never met before. That was lovely. And we're gonna be having some of our great recent interviews including Jonathan Price, who talked extensively about making the movie Brazil, getting an Oscar nomination for playing the Pope, playing the High Sparrow on Game of Thrones and Prince Philip on The Crown this season. And uh, our conversation with Bob Woodward as well, who recorded Donald Trump essentially confessing the crimes. 50 years after Watergate, he got Donald Trump to deep throat himself. So it's going to be a really fun Thanksgiving special. Also, speaking of special, if you want uh, to catch our stand-up comedy midterm special with Stephanie Miller, House Barks, Frangela and myself, the Stephanie Miller Sexy Liberal Comedy Tour Save Democracy Show featuring special guest Rob Reiner is available for uh, purchase at um, Meathook.live. And it's really funny. It's all about, well, uh, everything we're fighting about. And uh, it's very, very inspiring. But I promise it's much more funny in the most offensive way possible it's both inspiring and vulgar uh, like america so a couple of questions we're asking tonight are you traveling for thanksgiving are you going by plane are you going by bus or train are you are you driving and how do you feel about black friday you know you have this guy jesus who is this figure who comes out against owning things and now we use his birthday to get people to own things in fact, his birthday kind of props up capitalism right now. What was your worst Black Friday experience you ever have? And and just to be fair as well, Thanksgiving Day is wonderful, but I have two questions, one from me, one from Chris. My question is, how do you guys handle your right-wing relatives? I, I'm very curious about this. I have my own pointers here and there. But when you have people there at your table who are definitely right-wing, and in many cases, not to shock you, looking for confrontation... How do you diffuse that? Is it about winning the argument in front of your family? Is it about humiliating your racist loved one in front of his kids? Or is it about something much more than that? About keeping the peace in the family without having to give ground on your convictions how do you handle it really curious about that some families make rules about these sort of things and, and chris has a question Men. too what's yeah. what, your chris's question matters which is what what's your weirdest side dish
2: weirdest side dish that's all i want to hear about
0: some shows have one question i wanted to go with four are you traveling your worst black friday thing how do you handle the relatives and then your question is the most interesting what is your weirdest side dish I, i've Every been living for many got years weird the, one well, I've been living for years in the in the in the vegetarian house. I live with these two vegetarian people, so I've had to adapt, as Homo sapiens do, to that sort of thing. Uh, one of my proudest days as a son was when my dad got a tofurkey for my wife for Thanksgiving one year. I think he went up throwing it to the fish in the canal at the end of the night. But what is your weirdest Thanksgiving Day side dish, Chris? This was your hypothetical question. Do you have a lot of these things? A few. This year, it's rumaki. Rumaki, of course, rumaki. Wow. What what is what's what what is that? By the way, um, chicken livers wrapped around uh, water chestnuts and bacon. No, really, what is it? Rumaki. What is it really?
2: I mean, that's it, and then it's roasted <laughs> in the oven.
0: Chicken livers ra- are they wrapped around walnuts or are they wrapped around bacon? It's water chestnuts with chicken livers
2: and bacon wrapped around them.
0: The chicken liver and the bacon are both wrapped around the water chestnuts
2: something like that i guess yeah yeah yeah. okay and that's it's, an interesting it's, one
0: um yeah.
2: season.
0: yeah well i guess that's good because it makes your breath really nice when the paramedics arrive right is that the appeal
2: yeah and it used to be something it'd also be uh,
3: peanut butter stuffed dates that are then rolled in sugar
0: that's another Ooh. Ooh. i was all set to make fun of you but you might have gotten me with that one peanut butter stuffed dates that are rolled in sugar yeah you're making my arteries hard just hearing this yeah you don't need the sugar it's just no, you don't Let's need the sugar, kiss. but that's that's pretty good. I never heard of that, but does that have a name or is it just peanut butter stuffed dates?
3: I don't know. These things just showed up. On I the just table. grew up
0: as well, I grew up with boring people, and then I married healthy people, so I don't have these kind of stories. I, I love all this. Okay, that's Chris's question. What is your weirdest side dish? I want to know how you handle fascists around the dinner table, but, but Chris is probably more interesting. Weirdest side dish for Thanksgiving you've ever had? We're at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIP. Coming up on the show, uh, Max Burns, Dr. David Johns will be joining us again to talk about the devastation in Colorado Springs and how preventable it all was. Let's do a show. Here we go. Arrivederci, Fauci. This was um, Dr. Fauci's last date, speaking to the press in his 50 plus years of government service, and people had opinions. Here's a clip on the eve of his retirement from 50 years of serving taxpayers. Dr. Anthony Fauci went to one last White House press briefing, and they asked him, you know, the obvious question, what was it like for you, doctor, fighting COVID while also having to fight all these lies about COVID? Here's what he said.
1: There was some dubious advice, some questionable medical advice coming out of non-doctors at this podium. Mm -hmm. How do you think that affected the
4: the progress of this pandemic? Well, you remember, if you were around, that at this podium, I contradicted those, which set off a whole series of things in my life. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, we have to continue, and we were just talking about this a little while ago. The way you counter misinformation and disinformation is that to do whatever you can, as often as you can, to provide correct information. The people who have correct information, who take science seriously, (coughs) who don't have strange way out theories about things, but who base what they say on evidence and data, need to speak up more, because the other side that just keeps putting out misinformation and disinformation seems to be tireless in that effort. And it's gonna be very difficult.
0: Now, this will shock you, but the other side engages in something called projection, and the other side was furious at Fauci for committing the crime of calling lies lies. Monica Crowley tweeted, evil little garden gnome still pushing lies. At one point, Dr. Fauci said that, you know, it might be a good idea if you're traveling for Thanksgiving to take a rapid test before you sit down to dinner with a bunch of older relatives at Thanksgiving, because... COVID could make them quite sick. So just go ahead and check and see how you're doing there. Play Travis, right-wing radio host, said, Dr. Fauci says you should get a COVID test before you have Thanksgiving dinner with your family. I don't think I've ever hated anyone more in American politics than Fauci. Not even a close second, honestly. <laughs> never hated anyone more. Nixon? No, no Never hate anyone more. Because Fauci says, have a quick rapid test before you sit down with a bunch of bold folks. I mean, the, the Fauci hate. The Fauci hate. It's a very interesting phenomenon, isn't it? Like Andy Biggs, congressman from Arizona. I know, not the sharpest knife in the place where they keep the knives. Uh, Andy Biggs tweeted today, Fauci is scheduled to give a final briefing before he leaves government. He thinks resigning will prevent him from being held accountable. He's wrong. We'll be bringing him in ASAP. And he's right. The Republican House has promised they're going to have investigations into Dr. Fauci. Ooh. Ooh, I mean, Hunter Biden level investigations into Dr. Fauci. Not so much into Donald Trump. They'll be mad at Fauci because, you know, first he said, maybe you don't need masks. And then when it got worse, he said, you do. And they'll say that proves he's a liar. He first, he said, well, we'll see what happens with the vaccines and hopefully it'll make everyone okay. And then, uh, uh. You can still get it if you have the vaccine. It just substantially reduces the amount of people who are hospitalized, substantially reduces the amount of people who die. Is it perfect? No. Are we still losing 3,000 Americans a day anymore? No. Are there still giant refrigerator trucks for the bodies piling up in hospitals? No. But because factors change, they'll call them a liar. And they're going to keep doing it. And of course... His leaving government service will be marked by this. It was back in February of 2020. During another South Carolina rally, Donald Trump first labeled the coronavirus the Democrats' new hoax. And of course, he spread lies. He stoked conspiracy theories. He passed the blame to China after first praising China, then passed the blame to China, then fell into any kind of racist trope he could from the China virus to the Kung flu. Blamed the media, Blamed the Democrats, Blamed Fauci. And of course, over time, in all the press conferences and interviews, Fauci became, well, what Pastor John Pavlovitz calls the exhausted conscience of good people. He visibly showed his exasperation. He attempted to inject common sense into the terrifying circus of the president's continual stream of verbal diarrhea and disinformation. And he did what he has done for decades. He tried to protect people because that's what he is uniquely qualified to do. And that's why they hate him. Again, not because he lied. He lied but because he pointed out that the president lied. Here's a uh, clip A5. Here's Dr. Fauci. And he's telling you, listen, stop worrying about how people view you. If you wear a mask, being alive is better than being cool.
3: But what do you say about the word mask now being
4: a pejorative in some communities? No, it shouldn't be. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I know sometimes when you walk in and you have a mask and nobody has a mask, you kind of feel guilty. You shouldn't feel guilty. You look terrific.
0: Now, Anthony Fauci has faithfully served the American people under seven presidents of both parties. And he's right. You should wear a mask. You wear a mask because you care about other people. You know, obviously, you're walking by yourself outside. Don't worry about it. But if you're in an area that's having COVID outbreaks and you care about those you're around, even if you're vaccinated, it's not necessarily going to protect people you could pass a virus on to, (laughs) right? And masks work. There are studies showing they worked. If they didn't work, doctors wouldn't wear them in surgery. But the conspiracy theorists will come up with anything. They haven't come up with anything real yet, but they'll use anything after three years of trying to demonize this man. And Fauci, well, again, he served presidents of both parties. His bias has always been towards public health. Do I think he's been right all the time in his career? No. Can we talk about his record in the AIDS crisis? Absolutely. But in, in the case of coronavirus, he kept telling the truth based on the most immediate information science had available. Now, here's the question. Who does Donald Trump hate the most? I mean, of all the groups in the world, of all, not Muslims, not immigrants, not ex-wives. No. Who does he hate more than any other group? People who won't go along with his lies. That's who Donald Trump reserves the most ferocious bile towards. Remember when he mocked the reporter's disability? He did it because the reporter wouldn't back up his lie that he saw Muslims dancing in Jersey City on 9-11. Remember when he fired Sally Yates because she wouldn't back up his lie? Remember? Remember when he withheld arms from Ukraine? Unless Zelensky went along with his lies and announced an investigation into Joe Biden on CNN. Remember that? 2020? Again... He didn't want Zelensky to actually have an investigation. He wanted Zelensky to announce an investigation of Joe Biden on CNN, on American TV, so he could point to it. And he threatened to withhold approved arms from Ukraine unless Zelensky went along with the lie. He has excoriated Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. Adam Kinzinger voted along with Trump 99% of the time in Trump's first two years in office. But they didn't go along with his lie about the stolen election. And this is a cult, folks. Fauci is the greatest example of this movement of hatred for someone because they don't get with the program. They don't care about lies. All the time, Trump refused masks and opposed vaccines and kept perpetuating fake news, kept pushing hydroxychloroquine. Remember he said he took hydroxychloroquine, even though it's not something you take as a preventative, but he took it anyway. And then he got it. He vilified anyone with expertise. He vilified anyone with competency. And what was the result? NPR looked at the deaths per 100,000 people in about 3,000 counties across the US from May 2021. That's when the vaccinations became widely available, right? So people living in counties that went 60% or more for Trump in November of 2020 had almost three times the death rate of those counties that went for Biden. Again, they looked at the deaths of per 100,000 people in 3,000 counties. And if you were in a solid Trump county, you had 2.73 times the death rate of counties that went for Biden. Counties with an even higher share of the vote for Trump saw higher COVID-19 mortality rates. If you were in a county that went for Trump, that believed Trump, that followed Trump, you had more deaths. Point blank. In October, the reddest tenth of the country saw death rates six times higher than the bluest tenth. Here reporters asked Dr. Fauci to reflect on his long career at the National Institute of Health.
1: This is your last appearance at the podium. You became a household name in large part because of your appearances here at the early stages of COVID. Um, what do you want Americans to remember about your service in government?
4: Well, I, I think what, what I've accomplished in my 54 years at the NIH and my 38 years uh, as the director of NIAID although COVID is really, really very important, it is a fragment of the total 40 years that I've been doing it. So I'll let other people judge the value or not of my accomplishments, but what I would like people to remember about what I've done is that every day for all of those years I've given it everything that I have and I've never left anything on the field. So if they want to remember me, whether they judge rightly or wrongly, what I've done, I gave it all I got for many decades.
0: So as Dr. Fauci leaves government, people hate him more than they hate the president who lied to them, right? Donald Trump told, he told everyone, he told every Republican and everyone, every Republican loves to fill the pews of our churches on Easter Sunday, 2020. He said, we have it totally under control, and the million Americans died. He said, one day, it's like America will disappear, and then a million Americans died. And they know Trump lied to them, but being obedient to Trump, they call Fauci a liar. They don't actually hate Fauci, though. Here's the thing. They don't hate him. He never lied to them. Why would they hate him? They have no reason to hate him. But they are obedient to a man who lied to everyone they loved hundreds of times during a deadly plague. They're obedient to a man who directs hate towards people who won't go along with his lies. And since they can't defend this man, they must deflect for him. So they hate Fauci. It's the way of the Trump Christian and we'll know their Trump Christians by their hate.
1: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have?
0: And welcome back. We're at 866-997-4748. So about 1.4 million Americans identify as transgender. According to the Williams Institute, 5.6% of U.S. adults identify as LGBTQ, and a majority of LGBT Americans say they are bisexual. One in six adults in Generation Z consider themselves LGBT. And... It's not a coincidence that there are now more than 300 anti-LGBTQ bills that are pending state legislatures around the country. This year, so far, six states have banned transgender women and girls from competing in sports teams consistent with their gender, even though there's not a societal problem with that uh, Arizona, Alabama, Texas, Florida, all moving to ban gender affirming care for transgender youth. This year of Alabama is making it a felony for doctors to provide care to minors. And of course, a lot of people are following Florida's lead with this bill critics dub don't say gay because they can sue you if you do. And these people that are trying to restrict the rights and freedoms of our transgender brothers and sisters are the same people who keep pushing gun proliferation. And now they're shocked. That a young white male got his hands on another AR 15 and went into an LGBTQ bar and took five lives in Colorado Springs. Dr. David Johns is executive director of the National Black Justice Coalition, which is a civil rights org dedicated to the empowerment of black, lesbian, gay, bi, trans, and queer people, including people living with HIV AIDS. He was the first executive director of the White House Initiative on Educational Excellence for African Americans by President Barack Obama. He was previously senior education policy advisor to the Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions under the leadership of the great Senator Tom Harkin. It is a great pleasure to welcome Dr. David johns back to the show hello sir
2: hello thank you for having me back
0: thank you for coming back um i i almost don't know where to begin this attack we witnessed over the weekend was so predictable and so preventable and it just seems sometimes no matter how far we come as a culture no matter how much american people are increasingly embracing decency and rejecting bigotry we live in a culture that's still making it very possible for massacres like this to happen?
2: Yeah, um, a part of this is um, to be expected. Um, I'm a sociologist. I think the one thing that's changed um, aside from this demonstration of weaponized hate um, since the last time you and I spoke is that I completed my PhD. uh, I'm a sociologist by training, thank you. Um, I study. Um, how communities um, come into being, and in particular how schools are essential uh, to the preservation of democracy. Um, One of the last things you said to uh, the the last caller was um, about the Republican Party systemically training folks to hate. Um, And that's the part in particular that we have um, so much control around. um, um, And that's different um, um, outside of just simply people existing in community. Um, in ways that might have them confront opportunities to learn about um, a difference or um, people who might exist outside of that community. Um, So the the most difficult thing for me about the shooting at um, Club Q um, is that we should have expected it. Um, And given where we are in our geopolitical environment, um, with the the continued prioritization of people over uh, politics um, and the... Uh, white wing mass media enterprise um, engaging in weapons of both mass destruction um, and encouraging the use of weapons of mass destruction. Amen. Um, we should be we should have, have expected to be here, right? This is what happens when you discourage critical thinking in schools. Uh, this is what happens when you discourage the telling of truths or even the utterance of words like gay and lesbian, bisexual, transgender, or queer. This is what happens when political bullies like the Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina can stand in the pulpit of a black church and call LGBTQ children garbage. Um, Mm -hmm. This is what happens when Matt Walsh gets to compare drag shows to cancer and encourage uh, people to respond to it um, uh, using violence. Um, This is why we are experiencing a 12 year high in uh, hate crimes. Why there's been a 41% increase in hate crimes targeting um, our trans siblings, why there have been, um, as you mentioned, more than 300 pieces, I think we're close to 350 pieces of anti-LGBTQ legislation. Um, there have been more than 100 um, noted attacks on um, shows, drag shows. Um, That's right. uh, and, and all of this is fueled by concerted efforts to um, dog whistle to voters um, who will put, um, again, uh, partisan politics over people. Um, and their communities and this country. And unless and until there are meaningful change beyond our propagators of hate simply talking about their prayers and well wishes, but actually shifting policy and praxis, we will come to this space again.
0: Doctor, I look at the area where this happened, in Colorado Springs, which is uh, about half a million people, a very small LGBTQ community, and yet a, a town that's home to hundreds of non-denominational evangelical organizations uh, i won't call them christian that uh are openly contemptuous and hateful towards gay people and i would say they're the most dangerous forces because they sell this hatred as a virtue and this young man who's the alleged shooter is the grandson of a right-wing california state assemblyman who called january 6th the first shots fired against tyranny it's a state where uh, recently in colorado springs a transgender girl was kicked out of homecoming because she wore a dress, where Congresswoman Lauren Boebert has pushed so many awful anti-LGBTQ policies as part of her platform and then comes out saying that this is totally awful. There are so many examples of politicians and locally, like uh, State Representative Doug Lamborn, who has sponsored anti-trans legislation. It seems like it's very fair to say that this young man was groomed by a culture that uses the term grooming to justify their bigotry. It just seems like this was so incredibly preventable and that no matter how far we come, we always have to be afraid of this being a factor.
2: Yes, absolutely. As long as we exist in spaces where people are allowed to affirm and uphold a heterosexual agenda, um, which is designed to um, oppress and marginalize um, uh, people, uh, in particular queer people, and women-identified folks and feminine-identified folks. Um, uh, we should expect for these dynamics to continue. Um, um, I appreciate you using the word groomer um, in this regard. It is um, much more applicable than the way in which people try to suggest that uh, mm-hmm. drag queens singing songs about how high their hair are, are is to kindergartners is a form of grooming. Uh, as someone who is queer, that's simply just not the way that this works. Um, of I also want um, uh, you, you mentioned uh, Representative Bobart. Um, that's uh, one of the people I mentioned specifically when I say keep your um, um, platitudes around thoughts and wishes. Um, if you actually want to do something, then uh, uh, show us in uh, both policy um, and practice. Um, I want to point out um, for folks who may not know. Um, There's a Black queer state representative um, in Colorado, um, Leslie Harrod, which I encourage everyone, encourage everyone rather um, to follow as she's close to the ground um, and is thoughtful about how um, a lot of the issues that we're talking about now and others that are connected to this um, manifest in this regard. Um, and I also want to just say the names of the victims. Please do. know of at least the five people who were dead. Um, they're Daniel Ashton. Kelly Loving, Ashley Paul, Derek Rump, and Raymond Green Vance. Um, It's important for me to do that because um, what has long been, this is a part of the story that I'm appreciating and will hold on to in terms of people talking about Club Q, it is a safe space in the community. It is a place where people have, um, and I hope will still um, gather um, to experience joy, Um, And to be in spite of the ways that society tells them um, they should not exist and otherwise experience love um, as a result of. um, And and what I don't want people to lose is that um, there are too few of these spaces um, throughout communities, um, throughout our country. Um, There have been so many stories of people talking about moving from other parts of Colorado um, Mm -hmm. uh, to Colorado Springs to have better access to um, communities that are um, safe and supported um, and 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 everyone who enjoys being able to simply laugh or um, sing a song or grab a drink or otherwise uh, be in the company of their friends should be concerned about um, the lack of safety that all of us should feel as a result of uh, people having access to this type of weaponry. The last thing I want to say is that too often people get to hide hate behind religious discrimination. Um, that's a problem at every level of government. Thank you. Um, and um, um, Acts uh, 10.34 always comes to me, um, which is uh, Peter saying, uh, quote, I'm really am learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. Um, and so if anyone knows anything about um, the Jesus I know uh, and have read about of um, an experienced over the course of my lifetime, um, is that there are no mistakes made um and and jesus shows up for the least of us are who howard thurman would call the dispossessed um and so anyone who purports to be um religious um or part of a religious community um should be engaged in ensuring that every member of our beautifully diverse community um has the ability to feel safe um and supported and enjoy the rights that um too many of us especially
0: privileged um white cis heterosexual people take for granted amen and thank you for quoting acts you know So often our right-wing Christian friends prefer to quote Paul to Jesus. They never really quote the Sermon on the Mount, but they'll quote Paul all day. And I I find myself throwing these transphobic Christians uh, a look at Galatians 3.28, where Paul says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, as if to think that God likes someone less than you because you are somehow differently gendered than they are. I want to thank you for saying the names of the victims. Um, we pointed out last night how Daniel Ashton, twenty-eight-year-old transgender man, and Kelly Loving, forty-year-old transgender woman, were uh, obvious targets, as as was Derek Rump, who was uh, the bartender there. Ashley Paw was a straight-identified thirty-five-year-old mom who was there with friends, um, and uh, Raymond Green Vance was there with his girlfriend for a for a birthday party. There were straight allies who were there at this event. And I think it's very important that we have this dialogue again about what it means when we use this term, hate crimes. Because, Doctor, I find the same people who don't want to extend hate crimes laws protections to LGBTQ people as a protected class have this curious problem. They're not bothered by the fact that some marginalized groups need more legal protection. They're bothered that some marginalized groups are asking for more legal protection. What should we say to people who say now is not the time for more hate crimes laws? It's always the time. Um, uh, The use
2: of now is not the time invites the question of when will there ever be uh, an appropriate time? Um, And I think uh, more directly, it is an uh, acknowledgement of a thinly veiled attempt to say, um, I don't believe that that's important. Um, And we should never get to it. And I would much rather people, especially now, given all that's at stake, um, uh, specifically with regard to our democracy, our very young, our very frail democracy. I'd much rather people simply be honest (laughs) and tell the truth um, that you believe that your um, rights um, and existence uh, is much more important um, than mine than to lie about it. Um, I think that that simply allows me much more room to run with regard to the strategies employed to ensure that we can all get free. Um, The thing that I would say beyond that to folks who um, are selfish um, and or who have not done the work required to interrogate what they feel is their privilege or this sense of protection um, is that none of us are free unless and until all of us are free. Uh, Fannie Lou Hamer uh, attempted to teach um, Black folk, F-O-L-X, that. Um, Some time ago, she would have been 107, um, two months ago, um, if my math serves me correctly. Um, Mm -hmm. But that is true for all of us who exist in this democracy, um, in a country that um, so many Black people and people who don't have equal rights um, built for free. Um, So my hope is that if nothing else, um, while we do all that we can to shift policy so more people have access to mental health support. Um, so that fewer people have access to guns, so that no one has access to the types of guns um, that people um, um, uh, should not have, period, full mm-hmm. stop. Um, while we're still working on all of that, my hope is that we can engage in more conversations like this um, to build uh, more beloved communities Um, such that people understand the importance of
0: all of us being free. As you well know, LGBTQ youth have double the risk for suicidal thoughts and attempts. And the Biden White House has said this year they're planning to confront states specifically on their anti-transgender legislation. Of course, it was a few months ago the HHS announced they had reversed Trump's order and restored health protections for transgender patients. I'm wondering, doctor, your thoughts on how the Biden administration is responding and what they should do moving forward.
2: Yes, I want to step back before answering that specifically um, and uh, make a couple of points. One is that most of the data that we have in this regard is underreported. Okay. Um, two, yeah. the data doesn't allow for us to have um, conversations about the holistic ways in which children show up. And so what we know is that the suicide rates for black youth, um, uh, sexual minority status notwithstanding, has doubled in the last two decades. As you uh, stated, the statistics for students who identify as LGBTQIA um, have increased and continue to increase. Uh, We also know there was data that came out of Chicago that children as young as five, I taught kindergarten, um, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about the impact of COVID um, and more recent pandemics, um, or epidemics rather, Um, but children as young as five have also been presenting at hospitals um, with suicidality. Mm. Um, And so our children um, have and continue to ring alarms about um, their mental health and well-being, um, and if Uh, anyone hears me say anything, I hope it's that everyone um, normalizes and has at least an annual mental health um, checkup. We should all be um, in therapy and engaging in the practices around uh, implementing the strategies um, that hopefully are coming up in therapy. But modeling wellness is one of the ways in which we can respond to the crisis um, that our babies are experiencing. Um, Specific to your question about the Biden-Harris administration, they are doing the best they can. And I worry gravely about um, their opportunity to do more, given the the increased entrenchment um, that we will expect in Congress, regardless of the outcome um, in the Georgia election. Hope everyone goes to vote again. um, Thank you for um, engaging in um, uh, democracy. Um, And there is more that each of us can do. The National Black Justice Coalition, the organization that I have the pleasure of quarterbacking, um, has partnered with the Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation. It's a foundation that is um, created by Taraji P. Henson and her father's um, legacy. And we work to provide um, 250 Black LGBTQ plus youth with access to um, uh, competent, um, which I struggle to get that out because I don't think that you can actually be a therapist if you are not competent, including culturally competent with competent um, and no cost mental health. And so I say that to say um, that I- individuals who have the ability to ensure um, increased connections to care um, can also um, step up in that regard where we also try and increase um, federal investment and otherwise shifts policy to support the same goal.
0: So uh, before I let you go, doctor, and I thank you for saying that, if the government is doing as much as they can, the Biden-Harris administration is doing all they can do. What about the rest of us? Because despite what the Republican Party would have you believe, and they're going to be selling us a lot more terror about men competing in girls' sports and genital mutilation and drag brunches, but Americans are increasingly supportive of equal rights for gay, lesbian and transgender people. What has to happen for our politics to reflect our people?
2: Uh, at least three things. Um, one, referencing again the previous caller, I appreciate the commentary and the community of folks who engage in discussions with you. We have to hold each other accountable for what used to be called decorum. Uh, when I was a senior policy advisor at Capitol Hill working for, Ted Kennedy rest his So the members could go to the floor and Ted Kennedy would scream until he was literally red in the face. Uh, and then he would call whoever he was yelling at. Uh, and they would go to their chamber or their hideaway. Um, they may or may not light up a cigar. They would tell <laughs> stories about their families to normalize being mm-hmm. humans and being committed to, um, a shared goal. And then they'd figure it out. And whatever they could figure it out, they turned to us as staff and say, now you all figure it out. Um, and at the core of that was uh, mutual respect, um, and an appreciation for the fact that our government was designed to encourage people, um to to reach a compromise that would ultimately result in the greatest good for the greatest many at that time um and we've gotten far away from that i think often if ted kennedy was still here god rest his soul that things wouldn't be as they are um but here we are um and so we can hold each other accountable um, for the words that we say tony morrison um talks about words are things she says they can get in your curtains um, they can live within us. They can influence actions. I believe that's very much what's happening uh, with yes. the grooming around the heterosexual agenda that we referenced um, previously. Um, but yes. We can also hold elected like officials accountable um, for the things that they say um, and for the actions they take. Um, related to that, we can all and we should be asking for the passage of the Equality Act um, at the yes. federal level to ensure that there are clear and consistent non-discrimination protections. Um, um uh, so many of the challenges that, uh, women, um, regardless of their sexual identity orientation or expression, um, and queer folk, um, uh, experience, um, there's simply no, no, no federal protections at any level. Um, yes. and while state legislatures are passing, um, laws that are weaponizing hate, um, that's one thing that we can ensure, um, exists, uh, in order to respond to all, of all of this. Um, and then the last thing, again, is um, it's not hyperbole from me, but each of us um, face challenges on a daily basis um, that would break some of our ancestors. Um, yes. So my hope is that people are leveraging uh, resources, including um, therapists and coaches and um, tarot card readers, whatever it is that you need in your toolbox. <laughs> um, Doctor,
0: um, thank I- you. We're hitting a hard break, but I thank you so much. Dr. David Johns is the executive director of the National Black Justice Coalition. You can follow him at Mr. David Johns. Please come back and see us again soon. Thank you for joining us tonight and for sharing your wisdom and humanity with us. We'll be right back. This is progress.
3: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
0: And we are back at 866-997-4748. I'm John Fuglesang. Thanks for being with us. Uh, we're going to talk about Donald Trump's really, really, really bad legal day later in the show. But first, I want to play a quick clip from SiriusXM, uh, our friends over at the POTUS channel. Here's Senator Ben Cardin giving a quick preview of the upcoming lame duck session of Congress.
5: Well, first, we, we need to pass our appropriation bills uh, dealing with the... Uh, the spending uh, that started on October 1 of this year uh, that's uh, a must pass bill we also have a national defense authorization act that we want to get done we have the electoral count act uh, bipartisan uh, uh, modification of that law to make it clear that the vice president's role uh, in counting the electoral votes is a ministerial role uh, so we have some important work we got to get done we have about 3 weeks to get it done uh, and i think we're all looking forward uh, to uh, the holidays. Yeah,
0: about three weeks to get it done, and that now includes reading Trump's tax returns. About 42 days to be exact. Let's bring in the great Max Burns. He is a PR Society of America, award-winning Democratic strategist and political columnist. His advocacy work has guided some of the most successful American companies and campaigns in achieving their messaging goals. You may have seen him on, oh God, NBC News, The Daily Beast. And he has finally launched his Substack, which will now be the home for most of his political writing outside of NBC News. Mr. Burns, happy two weeks from Election Day. It's good to have you back.
6: Yeah, thank you for having me. I can't believe it's only Tuesday. (laughs) The days run slower in special election land. I know, I know.
0: And it's been really fascinating watching how it's kind of been creeping up. I mean, I'm all eyes are on Georgia right now. Uh, Herschel Walker decided the best way to respond to the horrific uh, mass murder at a gay club in Colorado Springs was to release uh, an anti-trans athlete ad with um, a woman who didn't actually lose a race to a trans athlete, talking about how she launched a swim meet to a trans athlete who came in fifth. At the same time, Reverend Warnock is turning around with this new video that he put out today showing Herschel Walker's former teacher and football coach, Curtis Dixon, endorsing Warnock. We're still a month out from this. It's going to be a crazy few weeks, isn't it?
6: It is, and it's already getting there. I mean, there is no bottom with Herschel Walker. We have tried to find it. We've sent divers down. No one has come back. I mean, just today, aside from that anti-trans attack, He accused Reverend Warnock of sexually abusing a child, a claim Mm -hmm. that is completely false. And and you can tell was not written by Herschel Walker because he worded it in such a specific way as to avoid being attacked for defamation, uh, which would have happened immediately. But uh, and now there's another case out there of him sending voicemails to another woman that he pressured to get another abortion. Mm-hmm. I mean it it would be hard to believe if it were not his voice saying these things on a on a voicemail. And you just have to wonder how much more is out there.
0: Yeah, because let's be honest, everyone's afraid to try a Herschel Walker impression. I mean, you're the strategist, Max. It seems to me that this baseless disgusting accusation against Reverend Warnock is designed for one reason, to deflect from this, as you said, the second woman who said Herschel Walker pressured her to have an abortion. She had an in-person press conference at 2.30 today with our friend Gloria Allred. She offered plenty of evidence of her relationship with Walker, including the audio recording. She took questions in the media. She talked about Herschel visiting her at her old apartment and how he met her parents. I I don't really see how this whole attack this this just incredible bit of disinformation about Senator Warnock is anything but a desperate deflection by a guy who knows he's not going to have Brian Kemp at the head of the ticket to drive Republican turnout on December sixth.
6: It is he no longer has Kemp, and now he no longer has the the line of vote for me or the Senate will go to the Democrats. That's right. And this is a guy who we all know, and Georgians know, has no values, has no plan, has no policies. Everything that he's saying now is being funneled to him from the MAGA right. And Donald Trump is eager to jump into this race, has said he would love to support Herschel Walker. And I would love to see that because it I worked so well for him the last time. I would love Let, to see put it. him there. I think and, I and, think
0: he should continue to be the face of the party. You're exactly right.
6: Yeah, I would love to have dueling rallies. Barack Obama's going down there, I think, at the beginning of December. Yes, for Reverend is. Warnock. And I'd love to see. Donald Trump is the other side of that. You could not make a clearer distinction for Georgians about what future they want and what values they stand for.
0: That's right. And for young Georgians as well because they'll turn out to vote again, they had a good time last time. And you know, you mentioned that Barack Obama's coming down. All day today I was besieged by stories from the Daily Beast to Rolling Stone about Donald Trump's rage because insiders have leaked Donald Trump's rage that Republican leaders are imploring him not to come down for Herschel Walker. What do you make of that, Max? It really seems like the Republican Party knows they want to break up with this guy. They really want him to read the signs and just leave on their own. They can't ghost him. They're hoping that he'll just move out and leave his fan base for their new boyfriend, Ron DeSantis. It's going to be messy, isn't it?
6: It is. I I wish I could have any sympathy for them, but, I mean, we saw the Access Hollywood video. We saw the hair blacks in Charlottesville We saw January 6th. And at no point did they exercise their right as free people to break away from Donald Trump. It wasn't until they started fearing he may cost them elections that they said, please sit down. And, And believe me, you know, from looking at Donald Trump over the years, there's nothing more certain to get him involved than to tell him to stay away. He does not like being put in a corner. And the fact that That a lot of Georgia Republicans have said we would like Ron DeSantis to come and do a rally instead Mm -hmm. of Donald Trump Mm -hmm. is going to drive him crazy because he's currently, I think, 11 points behind Ron DeSantis in Georgia polling. And that is not something that's going to sit well in his head.
0: Now, of course, there's there's a few factors here, one of which is he's never going to be president again. I mean, the advantage he had in 2016 was there was a crowded Republican field, and then he jumped in and was able to suck up all the oxygen in the room while all the grown-ups went at each other. Now he's entered the race two years early. It's him. He's the big guy in the room. There's no other field for him to be against. He can only become smaller in time. And as we pointed out on the show, there's no campaign here. There's no campaign manager. There's no campaign infrastructure. It seems like he did a primetime news commercial to get more suckers to donate to his pack. It doesn't really seem like maybe he's doing anything beyond collecting more funds for his legal fees.
6: Yeah, it's pretty clear to me that this was done very effectively, again, to avoid or delay prosecution for his federal crimes. I mean, we saw that after his announcement, the attorney general said that he would appoint a special counsel because he was concerned about the optics of presiding over an investigation of a candidate for president. This is a guy who, much like his legal team, has no campaign staff, no message again. And his his outsider message isn't going to work as well in 2024 when he's the reigning head of the party, a former president and the unchallenged voice of the Republican movement. I mean, he's Mm -hmm. essentially running against himself if he runs an outsider campaign
0: twice impeached, uh, lost the popular vote twice, and has now led the Republican Party to disrepair in three consecutive elections. You're exactly right. But, you know, I I really do believe that so many people in the Republican establishment were hoping that the Democrats in the January 6th hearings would, as Mitch McConnell said, um, take care of the bastard for us. Now it seems like they're not going to get rid of their Donald Trump problem. I mean, do you think that he's actually going to really... Because, Max, I thought when he sold the hotel... The bribe hole in D.C., that was the clearest tell to me he wasn't really going to run. I mean, do you really think we'll see Trump square off against DeSantis? Because honestly, I don't know if my heart could take how much fun that would
6: be. I think if anything, it will be DeSantis who decides not to run because he's a little bit more strategic. But I think with the with the polling the way it is, I wouldn't blame him for running. And, you know, Donald Trump, what else is he going to do? Spend time with his family like he's got nothing going on. He knows that this will be at least a way to raise a lot of money and get a lot of headlines. But I think he has not thought through that his base is much shallower now than it was. When he was running in 2016, he was a clear outsider voice. He represented a movement that did not exist in the GOP Mm -hmm. in the way that he was putting it. And now people have seen it. And a lot of people who backed him are saying, well, Let's wait and see. And a lot of them are considering running themselves as voices of Trumpism. So he can't count on that base to be there in 24.
0: Let's talk about um, other people who will never be president. And of course, I refer to former Secretary of State (laughs) Mike Pompeo. I guess Mike Pompeo got the memo that you can't really beat up on trans folks this week. So he was being interviewed by our friend Dave Weigel, along with Shelby Talcott earlier today. And he, he told them who the most dangerous person in the world was. He didn't say Vladimir Putin. He didn't say Kim Jong-un. He didn't say Donald Trump. Who did
6: he say, Max? That Randy Weingarten, the head of the American Federation of Teachers, it is It is not the the nuclear powers. It's not the people invading Ukraine. It's the teachers who are the The existential threat to democracy in our world. It's it's insane. (laughs) And the fact that I don't know when
0: these teachers want chalk, they can do a lot of unsavory things when they these unions want chalk. I don't know. It's just remarkable.
6: It really is. And the fact that it went unchallenged. I mean, Shelby Talcott comes from The Daily Caller, the, the Tucker Carlson founded outlet. But no one in this interview, there were multiple people. No one stopped and said, what? Randy Weingarten is more dangerous than a country actively testing nuclear weapons. This probably explains a lot of the failures of Trump's foreign policy, that their State Department was focused on teachers instead of North Korea.
0: Yeah, but why is he doing it? I mean, why is he directing the hate Because that's all he's doing. He's not saying anything constructive. He's running against public school. He's doubling down on this Christian nationalism audience and trying to find a way to get the hate out there while not seeming overtly hateful. He's trying to do what Ron DeSantis is trying to do more effectively, um, be a more palatable Trump for people who miss their Trump. That's all this is about. But he doesn't have the charisma of a Trump or even, God forbid, the charisma of a DeSantis, does he?
6: no he does not i think he is currently trying to figure out where his constituency is so he's attacking teachers unions he's saying public education is the problem but mike pompeo doesn't hate public education he's invested a ton of his time pushing republican far-right school board candidates across the country he doesn't so much want to end public education as to control it because Mm -hmm. he understands that that public education process is one of the few areas Republicans have not clamped down on yet. And And if he can do that, and if he can build a movement around saving public education from the libs, as he's saying here, that is certainly a base in the Republican Party that doesn't really have a home right now, except with Ron DeSantis
0: so what's the game here i mean pompeo is no different than than mike pence i mean going on these news shows uh saying ridiculous things not getting too much pushback and he doesn't care if he does get pushback because the fox audience isn't watching it are they running to be the anti-trump voice in case DeSantis doesn't run are they running because they have nothing else to do and they figure this guarantees them like newt gingrich uh a, a pretty clear stage for the public speaking circuit do they think that maybe they can pick up a couple of delegates in their home state and use that to leverage a, another job i mean if trump if it's trump versus DeSantis, none of these guys have a shot
6: no that's that's at least what the polls seem to show that ron DeSantis and donald trump have divided this petty kingdom up pretty well among themselves but pompeo unlike others i worry about because he's not a performative campaigner for this he really would like to be president He was looking at different options in 2022, potentially to run for something, sat that out and is building a base. He is a fundamentalist Christian dominionist. He feels called by God to bring about the end times. And he's spoken about this publicly. This is not something you have to trust me on. He spoke about this at length in his visit to Jerusalem. And this is something that is not rational. It cannot be reasoned with. You're not going to negotiate him from the left. This is his way or the highway. And if he if he actually runs, there will be an audience for that on the right. Oh,
0: yeah. But so, so again, this is this is going to be a repeat of 2012 when everyone in the clown car ran in one year, because even though there's never going to be a place for him in the White House, he can still get himself a place at the table. And it sounds like he's going for the Huckabee vote, if you would.
6: Yeah, absolutely. And he's quite honestly better at it than Mike Huckabee. He's certainly more conversant in the policy that motivates those voters. But that's also hearkening back to a GOP that does not exist anymore. Those religious purity voters are a stark minority now compared to this MAGA group. that doesn't care what you do, doesn't care if you believe in God, as long as you will take the bat to the libs. That's right. Literally and figuratively.
0: One last question for you, sir. What are your predictions for the incoming GOP House? I'm not even sure that Kevin McCarthy is going to be able to get the speaker's gavel anymore, which I think would be the most fitting epitaph for Kevin McCarthy's political career, to have spent the entire time building to this moment and then been so unpopular with his own caucus of Confederates. Um, Is it just going to be two years of... Hunter Biden investigations and Dr. Fauci investigations and preening for cameras for Fox News.
6: Yeah, Republicans now believe in the subpoena again and the and the <sighs> obligation to come and serve the subpoena and give testimony. But it, it will be. It's, it's literally going to be the Hunter Biden show led by Jim Jordan and Matt Gates. And right now, from the last tally I saw, uh, Kevin McCarthy is about 13 votes down from where he needs to be. And no Democrats are crossing the line for him. He probably should have been a little bit nicer. Mm. And at the moment, I mean, if they go into multiple ballots and and there is a fight with the Freedom Caucus, I mean, it's going to be a media n- a nightmare and a blessing for Democrats. I just hope oh, they yeah. take advantage of it.
0: I mean there's already people out there saying that Democrats should try to get 10 Republicans along to make Liz Cheney speaker of the house. And look, that's great fan fiction. I don't think it's going to happen, but I mean, what is going to happen? Who who will become speaker? Because when I saw Marjorie Taylor Greene come out and endorse McCarthy so wholeheartedly, I thought, "Wow, MAGA's going to be done with Marge." I don't know what kind of deal those two cut, but I have seen so many right-wing racists now cutting marjorie Taylor green loose because she's supporting this man i mean if it's that bad just because she endorsed him how could mccarthy ever hope to govern this caucus
6: oh it's 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 chaos i mean forget what the republican plan to govern is who do we even talk to in the republican party who speaks for the party this is the same situation the party was in in 2016 that led to trump but now trump is overseeing the collapse so the question is what Republicans going to come in and capitalize on that and finally make that break?
0: I mean, listen, am I out of place hoping it could be Jim Jordan? Because I think the Republicans really should have a Speaker of the House that they deserve.
6: That would be a Speaker of the House that can't go within 500 yards of a school. So that may make some campaigning complicated, but mm-hmm. it certainly would reflect where the party <laughs> is. And I would not be surprised to see a situation develop where through resignations, through sicknesses, there's actually a flip and we end up in a very complicated situation very quickly. What do you mean? Where uh, with this very narrow margin, on average, we've seen five or six seats change over the course of a congressional term due to members dying, uh, members resigning, being indicted. If that happens and the chamber flips back to Democrats, that's going to be an even bigger nightmare for Republicans
0: ah it's beautiful it's beautiful if you had to bet max i know i said this is the last question like five questions ago but if you had to bet who will be our next speaker of the house who do you see it being conceivably
6: i will be i'm announcing my candidacy for speaker that <laughs> no I, I genuinely don't know i know that there uh there is a contingent behind kevin mccarthy i know that steve scalise has also been quietly mm-hmm. trying to, publicly supporting mccarthy but quietly lining his ducks up and exactly. he may be a compromise candidate he, he said some be. nice things to Nancy Pelosi when That's when right. she gave her speech. So mm-hmm. it, he he's behaving like a man who's after something.
0: Yeah. David Duke without the baggage. Oh, wow. You know what? Scalise might be the smartest bet. Before I let you go, Mr. Burns, uh, tell us a bit about your new Substack.
6: It is maxburns.substack.com, the third degree. I'm moving a lot of my short form writing over there. It's two articles a week for free. Five bucks a month gets you a third one and some other short ones during the week. We are, we are going to track this national nightmare until the lights go out.
0: <laughs> it's such a pleasure to see you, sir. I hope you have some uh, some lovely Thanksgiving plans. You as well. Thank you. Everyone follow Max Burns at TheMaxBurns on Twitter, which still exists because like America, we're not going to abandon it just because some petulant millionaire at birth took over for a while. Thank you so much for joining us, Max. Have a great evening and happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for having me. We will be right back with your calls at 866-997-4748. I'm John Fugel saying this is Serious XM Progress. Let me quote our next guest. Polls preceding the election said the economy was all that mattered. Exit polls said different. Abortion and democracy, which seemed like such moving issues in the summer, had supposedly flamed out and taken a backseat to inflation. But the polls turned out not to be predictive. As Carl Rove said on Fox News on election night, polling is broken let's not kid ourselves we had a golden era of polling when we all had landlines and we answered them now anybody here got a landline folks i can't tell you how much it grieves me to agree so passionately with Carl Rove. But uh, the author of that is John Sinton, who's a serial media entrepreneur uh, working in radio, TV, and online industries. I've been a fan of his for a while. He does a really, really terrific blog um, that you can subscribe to called John's Reluctant Blog. And this was piece came from an article last week called Normal Wins. He had one of the best articulations about polling in america at this point in the 21st century that i've read and i've been begging them to come on the air and talk about it it is a great pleasure to welcome john Sinton to siriusxm hello
5: hi john thank you so much for having
0: me thank you so much i do subscribe to your blog i read it all the time um and uh it's great to finally have you here i read it and i just found myself saying hell yes hell yes to everything you wrote because my critique of polling this entire election cycle has been there's two groups that respond to polls at this point um, people who pick up their landline phones and people with mobile phones who indiscriminately answer when they don't know who the caller is and it's not the most accurate cross-section of american voters is it
5: absolute junk research uh there was uh, i i talk about this in, a little earlier in that same blog uh because i you know i, I come from Music radio, primarily, I- initially, and and yeah. we conducted audience research, and and uh, y- you know, I have to tell you as an aside, I was tickled to get to quote Carl Rove on Fox News because <laughs> <laughs> you won't see me doing that very often. Uh, I know, uh, but he gets it. You know, it used to be. That we'd dial a landline and somebody would answer, and if they were the right age, uh, gender, de- you know, just demographically correct for what we were looking for. If it's a rock station, we're looking for maybe for eighteen to twenty-four year old men. Uh, If it's a top 40 station, we want to talk to teenagers. Uh, If it's adult contemporary, we're talking to 25 to 54-year-old women. In any event, you used to be able to get them to talk to you. And uh, with the advent first of uh, just wireless phones and then ultimately smartphones, I don't know about you, but my smartphone, uh, my iPhone has a setting under phone that says silence unknown callers. Well, guess what? Goodbye to researchers. (laughs) That's it.
0: You write in this piece, predictive polling is a gigantic waste of time and money. I spent a long time in the consumer research business performing studies for radio and TV. It started out easy. You call people at random, seeking the right age, gender, socioeconomic combination, just like you said. You pay them a small sum to participate in a qualitative focus group. What does that word mean, John?
5: So there's a distinction in, in research John between qualitative and quantitative uh, uh, qualitative research that's a focus group that's that's where uh, the research uh, the researchers will go out and find up to a dozen people to put in a room and these people will be selected based on, a short questionnaire that gives the researcher a pretty good idea that that's really who we want to talk to. We're interested in your opinion because we're going to extrapolate that opinion and we're going to apply it across a vast number of people, but it is not statistically valid. That's to give us a sense of mood and uh, well-being and and, and and things that are qualitative in nature. But in in audience research, we generally back that up with quantitative research, which is to say, now I'm going to go find 1,000 to 2,000 people. They're going to be representative in age and sex and geography and maybe socioeconomics. And from that, I'm going to be able to take a statistically valid snapshot of the world at that particular moment. Mm. I mean, you talk about what
0: really killed polls was you kept running into these things called qualified refusals. That's people who were the right demographic mix but they just didn't want to be polled.
5: That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, I kid because David Letterman used to say, and if you've ever been polled, you know how painful that can be. Uh, we People are they're over it, John. They're just sick of it. They don't they they don't want to be asked. But I think you said something really important in the intro to this segment. Um, the people that you are able to get on the phone. Wow you know, tighten your chin strap. That's going to be a wild ride.
0: Yeah. And, and let's be honest about it, too. I mean, how reliable are the opinions that someone might randomly give out over the phone at this point when you consider that many times they're just saying what they think a pollster wants to hear? They just want to get off the call earlier. Maybe they, you know, will change their mind afterwards. Maybe they're just repeating what they heard on Fox News five minutes ago.
5: Exactly. And I advise caution. You know, I I, I, I would tell anybody that's not reliable. Uh, but of course, people think that they can be prognosticators and they and, you know, they really cannot. But yeah. there is value in exit poll researching. Absolutely. Because, yeah, you catch somebody walking out of the polling place there, it's much more likely they're going to tell you the truth. And from that, uh, because there's some pretty good national exit polling companies and we should use. The information that we gather there if, if we're in the political realm we should use that information to determine why people voted the way they voted and you know what they would vote for if they had the opportunity and at that point you can get a little predictive uh, but for the most part you're in an exit poll you're just asking them to what they did and, and why they did it you're not asking them to predict what they will do a week from now or three months from now. So it's much more concise. It's much tighter. It's much more accurate.
0: And let's talk about the big elephant in the room. The fact that it was the pollsters who were the ones who most seriously underestimated the turnout of Gen Z and millennial voters. I mean, exactly. people, who re- people who really aren't going to answer their mobile phone if they don't know who's calling and they completely go undercounted. It seems like at this point we're polling older folks who pick up the phone.
5: That's exactly right, and to some extent, you know, older folks vote uh, in in general terms. Older folks vote more than younger folks, but they all, yeah, we yeah, but we had a couple of huge things happen here. You had a caller on a while ago from Kent State, and I, I it it made me it it made me think about uh, May Day in nineteen seventy. You know, when the Ohio National Guard shot down a bunch of kids, a couple of things happened. One, Neil Young ripped off Ohio in like an instant, and they had it yeah. on the radio two weeks later. Dan um, Crosby wrote it overnight. Is, they... Yeah, exactly. But the other thing is it, that really motivated uh, 18 to 24-year-olds to vote. Uh, that, that was a sure sign because, you know, Vietnam was happening, That's and right. uh, we were cannon fodder. We were getting drafted. And, and uh, so ev- events well, uh, especially close to an election w- will drive turnout. And, uh, you know, I just think people re- the pollsters really underestimated the impact of the of the Trump years in general and of uh, the Supreme Court decision annihilating Roe versus Wade. That's a game changer. And that got people to come out and vote. I think you're
0: exactly right. I mean, that was the generational shift. That was the Vietnam conflict. That was the thing that like the Iraq war that was going to get young people who might ordinarily not register for a midterm to show up. But, you know, let's follow that through because you you quote the last week's morning consult poll that showed that Donald Trump would get less than half of Republican primary votes if the vote was held today. And that's down 57 percent from August. But you point out, I'm not sure it's believable or even relevant.
5: Yeah. I'll start with believability. Again, that's a that's a prognostication pull, and I don't think that I trust those generally. But also relevance, I think, uh, takes center stage here because Donald Trump has managed to wear the American public out, in my estimation. I didn't think it would ever happen. And of course, wh- when you think about everything we went through from Uh, sexual aggrandizing sexual assault to uh, oh my gosh I'm not even going to bother to list them there are just so many issues where you thought to yourself okay that's it that we're done with this guy uh, but his his base remained loyal and faithful but what we're seeing now is that all those independents who who voted for him have had enough and I this will sound funny coming from me, but I really was glad when he announced well over, you know, exactly two years before this so I just thought to myself, I was man, about it. You have, you've worn out your welcome <clears throat> and you're going to continue to do so.
0: John Sinton is a serial media entrepreneur uh, working in radio, TV and online. He is the man behind John's Reluctant Blog, which I have been quoting from liberally. The uh, column I'm discussing is called Normal Wins. Mr. Sinton, what is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with all your doings?
5: I I think the best way is to go to johnbsinton.substack.com. Uh, unless you live here in San Diego, in which case you'll find the column in the in the local newspaper. Um, but that that's what that, that, that's where it comes from. And uh, I'm guessing, John, that if you just Google John Sinton, uh, you'll you'll find some uh, you'll, you'll probably find the blog in addition to a lot of really hateful stuff, because like you, I've been at this for a while.
0: Yeah, well, it is a pleasure to see you. And I thank you for doing what you do. And I hope you'll join us again uh, in the very uncertain but sure to be entertaining months to come.
5: I am at your beck and call. And if I may just take one second to say what a difference I think you make. And and uh, my wife and I are both just huge fans, John, because oh, you, you. Just, you've done this for the longest time. You're able to take the haters and make real live logical points. Of course, they don't hear them, but the rest of us do. And I congratulate you and thank, thank you. you for the effort that you make. And I'm at your beck and call
0: anytime. Oh, well, bless you. I mean, you know, you, you, you can't reach the haters, you can't change their mind, but if you make the choice to not debate in a vacuum and do it out in the open, you can change their kids' minds, you can change their That's... wives' minds, and you can change the minds of the bystanders who are watching your debate. it's, it's a great not always platform. easy on the radio, but you know, it's no. it's, uh, it's something to do and it's something we have to do without hating them. We have to just, you know, show why the arguments are wrong without hating them as people.
5: Yeah, I think that's so well said, and, uh, and uh, I, I applaud you for it, and I wish you and your family a terrific holiday. And to you as well, Mr. Simpson, what a pleasure to have you with us.